Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining today. We have an awesome episode lined up for you. We have Spartan pro athlete and one of the best athletes in Australia. His name is Chris Woolley. And Chris has a background as a strength coach and PT, and he is extremely well thought out with his approach to training and he's really well versed in training methodology pretty much as much as anybody that i've had on the show so his results are really the proof of that and he has podiums and podium finishes in things like high rocks he came over to the states a year or two ago and was on the podium at several stadium races and he also has experience as a tower runner and some dune running events plus he won the burpee mountain event at ocr stars which was a damn grind So in the episode, we talk about some advanced training techniques such as the conjugate method and maximum sustained power training. We talk about how to improve running efficiency with cadence work, how Chris has uh, and how Chris is going to prepare for some upcoming world record attempts. He is going after the mile and full firefighter gear and oh he is a full-time firefighter which is badass and we talk and he's also going after the murph world record so we talk a little bit about that how he's going to prepare for those things but i was honestly blown away by how diligent chris is with his knowledge of the sport and and his uh, approach to training he's really dialed in so he's going to have a couple good years coming up so make sure to take notice here he is a legend chris woolley Yeah, man. How, how have you been going since um, OCR starts? Because that's where we sort of um, sort of met and started talking. And yeah, first time we really like ever competed. Yeah, I don't think I ever seen you at a race. Did you ever? You ever come over for Tahoe or anything? No, I, I've never. I haven't been over for any of those. Like I, some of the boys have come over a few times. Like I'm good mates with um, like Matt Murphy. You probably know him from back in the day. Okay. Um, he was a bit more, no. he was old school. So he was. He got he got second, I think, in 2014 or 2013, 2014 at Tahoe. Second at Hobie. Oh wow! Second at Hobie, and he beat Hunter. So um, he was right up there. He's he speaks to Jack Bauer about him. You know, Murphy was one of he knows. Yeah, Jack knows. About yeah, so I've I've had Murphy kind of. That's when I started getting into. It. I met I met him back in 2015 and raced against him a few times, and he was like a Olympic style um, triathlete. You know, just huge engine and. Um, I raced him a few times, but yeah, we don't, um, I haven't been over for Tahoe yet. I came over in the end of 2019 and did, uh, three of the stadium races. So the last three. Right. So I raced like Isaiah and then I think I had a couple seconds to him. Um, I think he got me by about I think 10 seconds and 20 seconds in two of the races. He's impossible to pass. Oh, I know. And I, I was, I mean, it, it's a, uh, you know, you, you go in and talk about the whole, was it, was it your podcast who did the whole race IQ? Or was that someone else talking about race IQ? And, you know, you know, as, as you do more races, so I hadn't done many yeah. races and I did four, four or five stadiums over the three or four weeks. And it's crazy how much he changes an athlete is getting, getting those races in. But yeah, he was, um, he was a hard one to beat, but I, um, it was, good, it was good coming over for those races, just, you know, race Isaiah and race Kent and, and Killian, um, I remember in the, I don't know which one it was, it was the big, it was probably the, the stadium series, and it was, there was Kent, Isaiah, um, Killian. He usually does Dallas, Killian. I think it was Dallas, oh, was it Dallas? I don't know, no, I don't think it was Dallas. My mind's all, all mushy at the moment, but I remember passing Killian, um, probably 22 minutes into the race, and just thinking, man, this is awesome, and 
but he, he got me back on, I don't know where he got me on. He got me on the Herc hoist or something and ended up finishing fourth in that one. But yeah, I had, had a good race, had a few good races over there. And, um, I came over to Dallas, um, for the High Rocks. Um, so mm. race Hunter and, and Kent there. Um, and that was a good, you know, a good welcoming for the High Rocks event. And the first one just absolutely kills you. You know, you go in thinking, Oh man, this is going to be easy. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run 345s in the runs and then I'm just going to ease. I'm going to push the sled and <laughs> to run four minute game. So, um, yeah, that kind of, that event got me hooked into the high rocks. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, um, kind of open to everything, everything and anything, you know, stair races, stadium events, high rocks. Um, you know, I'm keen for it all. That was something that was interesting to me about you is that you do have this, wide span of, of races that you that you go after and that you do well in so like yeah you've done some 24-hour races you mentioned like the tower races and seemingly like some general fitness competitions high rocks obviously um so like when you're going into like decide what you're going to do for a competition like what's that process like are you just like picking something and going after it or is it just if something pops up you're like in on it it's usually um i mean if it's a cool fun event i'm going to go for it um but usually it's going to be based around my strengths. So, I mean, I think like in the Spartan circuit, definitely the stadium races are my strength. Um, um, but I will, I will go after a race if, if it's fun. You know, we've got certain like firefighter stair climb races where it's, you know, you're, you're climbing 130 floors in full turnout gear and it's just 10 minutes, you know, pure anaerobic. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of open to challenge, challenge myself and push the body and, see what we can do but we're kind of limited over here because because we don't have you know the the race the race like variants that you do we kind of have to go after everything i can't just go yeah. do like a national series and you know it, which makes it harder so but it, i think it makes for a more well-rounded athlete as well you just you're just a big generalist um but i have i mean i'm learning now that you do need to specialize and you do need to hone your skills in and go after that one or two events so that's what I'm doing now. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think there does there was a time when we could just kind of do all of the things, and when it was, I mean, the sport's still super new, right? And and everything is splintering and changing yearly, monthly, even. And it's almost like, okay, if there's a beast in the area, I'm doing a beast, and if there's happens to be a stadium next weekend, I have to, I'm going to do both. Like, I'm, I'm just going to kind of sign up for what's around and do what I can. And I think that's just what a lot of athletes end up doing because they want to compete. They want to push themselves. But in your case, like, do you change your training based around that? Like, because like you said, things might be a little bit more limited for you and what you have to do. So are you pretty much, are you niching down and staying the course for like stadium stuff and then just trying to do okay in a beast or or do you change things up when, uh, when you decide to do Now what I'm doing is I'm kind of having high rocks, like that kind of hour domain. So, I mean, you look at like runners and they say that if you, I think, I mean, you're a much better runner than I am. So I'm probably butchered this, but if you, if you have your 10K down, down your speed down really well, your 10K race pace down well, you can kind of move up to that higher, you know, the half marathon distance and you come back down to the 5K. So I'm kind of going for that sort of four, mm. five minute to 60 minute kind of just dialing that in, getting my like, my 10K speed. I'm just, I'm working on that now massively and, I came from a running background, like we can touch on like my background, but you know, spending, you know, my early years, I was probably only running 30k a week. 
30, 35k week, but I was doing, which is nothing. That's what, 20 miles. So for a runner, that's, that's nothing. But I was doing a lot of work capacity. I was doing a lot on the, uh, a lot on my single speed bike, um, a lot on the surf life setting board. So, you know, I may only be running three hours a week, but I probably, I'm probably doing between 10 and 13 hours endurance a week. Mm-hmm. Is amazing, but it does hurt you as a runner. So that, that's where the last two years I've kind of just looked at my running speeds and splits and, um, had to real, like pretty much reassess and reprogram my run volume. So, you know, looking back, I was only ever running 30k a week. My long run was 12, 13 kilometers. So you, you can see a lot of flaws there already. Um, but I was doing a lot on the road, the ski, the bike. So I did have that big aerobic base, a lot of aerobic work, still polarized. But going forward now, like I saw a lot of holes, you know, like I could hold a certain time on the track, you know, I could, I could run 65, 10, 65, 400s with a minute rest easily, but I couldn't even run it. I couldn't break 17 and 5k. And, um, I just saw these big holes. So now what I've done over the last probably eight months is transition to 60 to 70 kilometers a week, 60 to 70 hmm. kilometers a week. Um, feeling comfortable, you know, I've changed my shoes and running in the, the VJ Maxes and I've got a pair of, um, Hoka Mac 3s for my easy runs and, um, everything's been switched, you know. I'm, I'm able to do those bigger miles. I'm PBing everything. Um, yeah, so looking, looking forward, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped because I was doing all those races with a 17 minute 5k and a, you know, I was struggling to break 36 in the 3630 in the 10k. Which I think now is probably in that mid 33 to high, it's probably 33, 30, 34. So yeah, looking forward, I'm going to probably increase the mileage, move up to say 80 kilometers a week and, um, take a bit of the other stuff off. And that's like, and I like the idea of kind of shooting for the middle and being able to then pivot in either direction. So yeah, if you're, if you're training for, um, a super that's going to be easier to get to a beast and then also easier to kind of pare down and get to a sprint. And then, but like, you're right in terms of specificity, like to get faster at running, you kind of have to run, (laughs) you know, like there's definitely ways to get better at running, but to like to get as good as you can at running, like running has to be a, a top of priority. So when you decided that you saw this and the example you gave is great where it's like crushing 65s, on a track and then with a minute recovery, that's a really hard workout, right? That's a really hard, strong workout. And then like the seven, it doesn't equate to a yeah. 17 minute 5k. Like that workout should kind of put you somewhere probably like 15, 15 or something, I would even think. Yeah. So being able to kind of see that when you started, when you decided it's like, okay, there might be some aerobic dysfunction here where I might not be able to handle uh, the output that I need to. And you started to do the, the, to put the volume in place was it easy just to start adding volume or what was the process like when you needed to, to just start running more? Yeah. So it was kind of two, two factors. One was the shoe choice, what I was running in and two was um, how I did it. So if you look at what I was running in, I was always running in these pretty minimalist shoes. I was running in like innovates and mm-hmm. um, I was doing a lot of my sled work and plyometric work in um, like um, innovate F lights so really, really, um, like flimsy forefoot. And it was just, I was just getting beaten up. I was running 30k a week, but doing a lot of sled pushing work. And, you know, I was just breaking down. So I, I changed the shoes and started only using, you know, really stiff shoes, like the nanos or a nice stiff shoe for my sled work. And then 
my easy runs, adding in like some of the Hoka, the Hoka work and mm-hmm. BJ Maxes and that in combination with just slowly sprinkling in. So I just kind of progressed, you know, 5% a week. I did it really slow, slow progression. And I used like a three-week build in my training and then a one-week deload. So I just used that three-week build. And I, I just over six to eight months went from 30 to 60. And um, I'm sitting at 60, 60 to 70 now and feeling amazing. Like my long run is 25K and I pull up fine. So I'm still early in that transition and I'm probably not going to go much past 80, but I'll, I'll see how it feels. Um, but I'll see how the testing goes as we go. But yeah, I just kind of sprinkled in, added it, you know, as anyone would teach you to do five to 10% a week. Was it hard to be patient with it? Because that seems to be, you know, like you get into it, you're like, I need to start running like 70 kilometers a week. So like, let's just get there as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Was that hard to be patient or was there aches um, and pains along I, the way? To be honest, it was, I found it easy. I'm very, um, I'm just very focused and I know, I know what you, what, what you need to do. So, I mean, the key, the key for running, as you know, is not getting injured. And, um, I, I was, you know, I spent, since I was young, you know, I was, Playing tennis and soccer, you know, fight probably eight to ten hours a week. Um, so I've probably, I've just had that big base my whole life, but I've only ever pretty much run 30, 30 K a week since I was little. So I knew I could get away off that anyway. So I just, I thought, you know, I've got, I've got another 10, 20 years in me. So I'll take, I'll take a year. I was going to give myself a year to get to 70 or 80 K. Um, and everything's touch wood's been perfect. Um, haven't had a niggle, haven't had anything. So. You've just got to look at the long-term game. I mean, if you try and jump those miles up super quick and you try and jump, there's a lot of people probably in that 30 to 40K week range, mm-hmm. um, right. especially the more kind of open age group athletes. And, you know, if you want to have another 10 years of racing, and I kind of gave myself a year to kind of re-jig everything and um, become like a 70 to 80K athlete. And that's all you, that's, you should take that time. Take the time, be smart, because the year after you're going to be so much better for it. And if you, if you, as you know, if you jump the mileage too quick and you have two injuries there and you take two months out of the game, you might be now sitting on 50, 60 and just having these lingering like fractures or knees, anything it could be. So yeah, take the time, always take the time. And that's huge because that's what happens, right? Like you want to make these jumps and you're you, like, you're feeling like, at least when I just, I feel like I'm like, okay, I need to do this to, to make the progress. And it's hard to like take a step back even though you're going to help yourself in the long term, that moment where you need to really be slow or to not train one day because to avoid injury, it's not always that easy. You know, it's like, ah, it's like, I wish I could just skip. I wish I could just run and feel fine. <laughs> I wish it would just take care of itself without need to worry about it. Cause you're right. Like the injury prevention part is so big. And when you started to add in more mile or said miles, um, when you started to add more volume in there, what did you, did you just add on top of all the other stuff you were doing or did things need to get taken out in terms of just like the time for how much you, you were spending training? Yeah. So I just, um, kind of reduced the other hours. So at the same time, the goal was to slowly increase the, the overall volume a bit as well. So I was sitting on, I was sitting very comfortably on say 10 hours endurance a week, probably let's, let's say eight to 10 hours endurance and then say three solid strength sessions. So I'm probably sitting on 13, 14 hours a week, but I wanted to then bump that up too. So I did reduce the other hours, but I also increased the overall volume of touch. So um, 
yeah, definitely take away from the others. I didn't just add these extra hours on and now I'm doing, let's say I've been doing 10 hours a week for, you know, 20 years and now I'm jumping to 15 hours. I didn't do that. So yeah, definitely take away from the, like the rowing and the, the biking. And then I've just laid a bit more as we've gone to. So over the mm. last eight months, I've increased to say three or four hours extra endurance a week. But- when you're, uh, when you, when you're doing the biking pieces, and the rowing stuff, was that just out of enjoyment? Just like you like to do it or was it yeah, I mean, for a sport? I mean, it's always, I mean, biking's great for that cross training, aerobic development, mm-hmm. low impact. Um, I've just got this single speed fixie, which I've ridden for the past maybe 10 or 15 years. So, you know, it's, <laughs> nice. just, it's got brakes though. So it's just single speed. Um, great for, I mean, it's, you're pretty much out of the seat all the time. So you're building that great leg endurance. Hammering. Yeah. yeah you just got to go. And you're building that leg endurance for the mountains. So I'm, it's pretty flat where we live. So, you know, I'd get one or two of those workouts a week in. Um, mm. you know, you get a couple thousand feet of elevation on, on the fixie. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's brutal. That's work. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's good. What's the deal with the fixies with no brakes? Like the, I'm, I'm not a cyclist, but I never had a fixed gear. And then I, my buddy of mine had a fixed gear with no brakes. And I'm like, this just seems like a bad bike. Like what's the deal? Why, like why would you not have brakes on it? So I, I've got a set for like the pretty soft like the pussy option. Like, so I've got, I've got, a, I've got a brake and I've, I've got the rear hub flip. So, um, I don't have to keep pedaling as I'm going downhill. But, um, if you have it set in full fix mode, full fixie mine, that's the ones where, like they're riding through the traffic and the brake, they've got to like slam the back wheel. Yeah, you gotta like turn. Pretty much, you pretty much die when you get in the bike. So I, I can ride like that, but I don't. I just do it for the um, cross training. And it's like, you know, like the bikes back in the day where single speed pushy, you ride it around. When you stop pedaling, you know, you don't have to keep pedaling downhill. So it's just good for fitness. But no, I don't use that, the gnarly single speed fixie where it's, it's just death. On a bike. Is it an ego thing? Is, it, is that just it? Is like, oh, it, this is a cooler, more hard way to bike? I think it's just more badass those, thing to do. One of those cool things that they, certain people like to do. You know, they're not, they're probably not athletes. They're just these, it's, it's more like, you know, people who love skateboarding. You know, they do it because they, they love, mm. you know, jumping off 30 stairs and, um, you know, they, if they break an arm, they don't care. Same with the fixie. It's just like, it's like a sport sort of. Some more extreme way to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like a little bit yeah, crazier. Pretty much. But um, now I've, I've got a nice break and, yeah, I can take my feet out when I'm going down here, so that's fine. <laughs> so, yeah, that makes way more sense. Um, better for better for your long – that talk about injury prevention, just like have breaks on a bike is a good way to yeah, not it's, get hurt. It's a bit easier. It's a bit nicer. Makes sense to me. <laughs> so, yeah, we were talking about high rocks a little bit. I want to do a deep dive on that because it sounds like you – that's going to be your focus at least whenever we're able to kind of race again and they're definitely pushing it you know they're they're putting some money out there they're getting some athletes involved they're trying to put bring in some athletes from outside of the sport to just kind of you know build the the profile of it and they seem to be doing a good job in terms of like branding and like the events seem pretty cool and so what is it about high rocks that you like and, and why is it you, that you're focusing that on that event this like these next coming years whenever we get the race yeah so i think um i mean i just love the brand they've um every interaction i've had with them has been pretty amazing you know they're they get right back to you when you need something it's like they're just so they're on so on the ball they're just a great company i think iron man owns them um 
They got great mm. people at the top. It's really well run, and um, I mean, they yeah, they you know they were gonna help me get over for some of the races, and they just they just do everything so well in terms of the actual race. It's just really well set up for me. Like my whole life, I've just done a, a lot of that functional training, a lot of like salt bike and sled work and lunges and burpees. Um, so it does suit me a lot more than a traditional Spartan race, which is, you know, geared for your more, um, traditional runner, the mountain runners. Um, so I think I, and I've got a, a lot better fast switch, like that anaerobic engine in terms of, um, you know, hammering the strength stations and getting back into that run. Saying that, I have increased the mileage now, so the running is becoming a lot better. So um, that's why I'm kind of that's why I'm kind of gearing up for. I think Abu Dhabi would be a great race for me, especially mm. not a, not an elevation. There's uh, there's going to be some fast running, but there's going to be lots of sand. And like I live right on the beach, so I do I do lots of um, vest like weight vest sand running. Um, I feel really at home on that, so I think that'd be a great course for me. Bit flatter, not as as hilly, but I do love the hills because I do a lot of a lot of hill work and a lot of stair running and weighted firefighter running. Um, yeah, I think I just I just love that. I've done so much of that high rocks work in the past, so it comes it's second nature for me. Did you start ramping up your volume after you did your first high rocks event, or is that has that been part of the process when you started to see high rocks and be like, okay, this event is going to be over an hour, which is still a running event, right? Like it's still an endurance running event. Was that part of the plan for High Rocks or did you realize that you needed to ramp up this volume even before High Rocks kind of came into the picture? I've always known I've had to, but I thought I could get away without it. So, <laughs> but I mean... What was, uh, what was the um, what was the realization then? Like what uh, was the moment where you're like, ah, shit, you know, I got to start. I mean, I gotta I mean, start running more. I've always known. I've, I've, I mean, you read all the books, like the Jack Daniels and the Lydiard, and um, you, you, everything says you know you got to run more. But I was always able to get away with it in races, especially being over here. I think coming over and racing some of the Americans and the just you know getting my ass handed to me and and looking at some of the race times and and knowing that I probably do need to be able to run a you know a, a thirty three flat for the ten k and and break into the 15s for the 5k. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to do that on 25 kilometers a week. Um, no matter how much I ride that bike or, or row or assault bike. Um, yeah. What would you tell someone who, cause this is, I mean, you're not alone in this, right? People want to be as well-rounded as possible and, but still race really well. And sometimes that is going to be that limiting factor for them. It's like, it's like, yes, you can be in the gym and you can do awesome workouts and you can do well in like the CrossFit open, whatever it is. But like, ultimately the running piece needs to be there. Like, how would you, how would you try to convince someone who is still kind of hanging on? Or what would you tell yourself back before you were, uh, you were hanging on with 20, 30 kilometers a week? I'd probably, um, I mean, looking at it now, just, I'd probably give them a few books to read and just, um, just look at their race times and their PRs and, you know, if you're trying to race like a high rocks and you're trying to run 350 kilometers, that that's, you know, if your lactate threshold is at 340, 345, how are you going to run 350 kilometers, you know, for the rest of that race? And, you know, look forward, let's say someone's trying to run in the open in the high rocks and they're running 430s and that's their 5k race pace, you know, how are they going to hold those 430s? But I really looked at all my running paces and I'm now I'm trying to bring my, 
lactate threshold pace right down. I'm trying to, I've looked at like critical velocity. I don't know if you've looked much into that. Um, I'm like, so basically critical velocity is in between your 10k race pace and your lactate threshold. Um, mm. it's a pretty cool topic if you, um, there's a lot out, a lot of information out there. A lot of like, top university running coaches have looked at it. I think, uh, hmm. I think, uh, I got it off, uh, Hosep, Ian Hosep. About a year ago, I was listening to one of his podcasts and he uses critical velocity. Um, and that's kind of that in-between pace, but I've, I've really been, I've always followed, uh, Richard Diaz too and looked at his, like, mechanical skills development. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've always used it. So in my track work, I'll, I'll do a couple N- NSD, you know, build ups where it's building up to the fastest pace you can hold, say, 180 steps per minute at 180 pace. Mm-hmm. Um, and like refining your running form at that pace. So then when you're competing, you know, you fall, you fall back to what you know. But I was only even touching on it. I wasn't really using it. And what I've been doing for probably the past, um, couple months is my speed work now. I've done a really big aerobic build. Um, I've always used polarized training, like, but I'm probably been sitting on like 90%, 10%. Uh, mm-hmm. because we don't have any races, nothing's coming up. It does hurt you to try and do a competition, but. I've really, um, like my speed work, like this morning I did a session, instead of say going out and doing, you know, your, your traditional like five by or six by one K at the track, um, I did, what did I do? I did four by four minutes, um, at a hundred, about 180 beats per minute, 180 steps per minute cadence and holding the fast pace I could hold there. So trying to feel relaxed, feel comfortable, stay below, stay within my limits. So just below my lactate threshold. And I've been slowly bringing that pace down. Um, and sort of, it's sitting now around my lactate threshold. I can hold my lactate threshold comfortably at 180 beats. Um, at the start though, you know, it was probably up towards my marathon pace, 345, 350. Um, because hmm. you hold that 180 steps per minute. The only way you can get faster is to increase that stride length. So more power to the ground, better stride right. levels. So you need a bit more mobility, um, and you need to feel better at that pace. So I'm actually using that, and it's actually working really well at the moment. Um, huh. That's an interesting way to kind of progress in pacing in terms of running form. Because, you know, when I think that, a lot of times when I when I think about someone setting a number and then associating a pace to it, a lot of times it's like backed by like heart rate. It'd be like your math, get your math heart rate and see what that looks like when you're going around the track. So when you're doing like the, the intervals where you're chain, where you're going off the cadence of your stride, are you feel, do those feel like you're pushing or is it you're focusing so hard on the cadence part is it more of a mental workout or does it end up being a physical workout and in hopes to kind of like rewire the pattern so that the 180 feels more familiar the next time you go back out? Like what is the purpose behind uh, like a workout like that? Cause it's really interesting. Yeah. So I'm, um, I mean, yeah, as I said, I've taken it off of Diaz and, um, I've never worked with him. I've never spoken to him a little bit online, but I've never, you know, seen him in real life. So I'm taking what he's used off, people and their Instagrams and the videos and I've got a pretty good snapshot of what it is. Now I actually have used his um he did send me his um it's called training the dark side, you know, his uh yeah program he has. So I've done a bit of research into it. And um I so split let's say I start I might say I do let's say I do five by three minutes at um working and at one eighty cadence as fast as I can. Um I might start off at say 
340 pace, three, 340 per kilometre pace, and then I might try and get a bit faster each one and, and work down to a pace that I can hold. Um, and let's say I'm holding around 330 per kilometre pace. Um, that's probably a little bit slower than my 10K. So you're still, you're still moving. You're still, you're still working. Yeah. Um, when I began at the heart rate, did jack up a bit because um, I actually had to, I had to sort of fight for that stride a little bit. And you know, let's say normally I'm I'm racing at say 185, 190 cadence. Um, that's where I'm I'm used to. But I'm, you're a little bit more inefficient there. So it's trying to teach the body to be really efficient at that 180, and then I can then revert back to that when I'm running. You know, so the way I'm looking at it is if I can get that pace down to say my 10k critical velocity, even my 5k pace bring that down into like the say 320, 315 pace and feel good at that. Then when I sit back and I'm in a high rocks race and I come come out of the strength state zone and I need to hold 340, 345, it's going to be very comfortable. I'm going to feel really good. I'm just going to go back into that 180 and be really efficient. Um, so yeah, it's making yourself uh, more efficient, better economy of effort. Um, I've only just started properly playing around with this um like i've always just used them in my warm-ups for track workouts but um yeah no it's feeling it's it's feeling really good yeah that's interesting that it's not it's 180 so not faster not not 185 not 190 right it's it needs to be on that and are you do you have a metronome so i've got doing these workouts i use my watch the watch you know with your garmin with your heart rate tell you it's built in and 180 like i'm sort of sitting between 180 and probably 183 or 4 so you don't have to be right bang on there um and yeah it's at the start it's a little bit tough mentally but it starts feeling really really fluid and really good so i'm probably going to do a, a, a longer run at that 180 um even even looking at it though when i when i do go into my look back at my say 5k or my 10k runs I've done recently, it has sat around that 180 beats per minute. I, I, mm-hmm. I always have used 180 um, cadence um, for, for quite a while now, like my easy runs. Obviously, if you're going to start running faster 200s and 400s, it's going to go out the window and you're probably, you know, even a, a mile time trial, you're probably going to be running, you know, 200 steps per minute. Mm-hmm. But the way I've kind of linked it up is if I can get really strong and make my body really strong and have a bigger bigger stride, bigger stride length, um, you know, better hip angles at that 180. Then when I get into the race, I'm going to hold that for longer and it's going to be more efficient. Um, that's kind of how, how, how I'm working that. And then I still have, like I still hit a couple 200s um, at the end of the session and, and a fast 400 just for leg turnover and leg speed. So running at like 250 to three three minute pace for those just to get that turnover. Yeah, that was a question I was going to ask it. Like, but you answered that your your typical run will still kind of be at one eighty, even on just like your general um, regular runs as well. So it's interesting because then it puts it that one eighty is going to be the most efficient because it's. And then when you start getting higher, it's just like that you're turning over a little bit too much and you're not producing as much power as you potentially could. That's yeah. the idea behind that, right? Pretty much, yeah. And when you're and then when it comes in terms of creating power, is that speed workout helping that piece of it? Or are there things that you're doing outside of running itself that to help increase that power? Like when you're doing lunges or you're doing like the functional stuff, or do you feel like you already have that requisite strength that like the power doesn't necessarily need to come from anywhere else outside of running? It just needs to work on the efficiency and, and the running form or, or how do you kind of thinking about that? Yeah. 
Definitely both. Um, definitely, you know, I mean, you look at anything like the, the 10,000 hour rule or, I mean, the more you practice something, the better you're going to become at it and the, the more comfortable you're going to be during it. So when you can re- feel really comfortable running, you know, 180 to 180 steps per minute, I'm holding 320 to 330 pace and feeling smooth and comfortable. It's going to be, it's going to make my stride stronger and faster and bigger. So when I'm running aerobically, you know, that, that stride length might be five or six or seven or 10 centimeters longer. So mm-hmm. that's going to come down too. So that, I'm, look, I'm looking at it like that. But then also in the terms of, of like raw strength and power, like the, the gym definitely comes in there. So I do a lot of, I kind of base all my strength work um, off Westside Barbell. So I do, I have like a- No way, do, do conjugate yeah. stuff? Yeah, so I've probably done that for the last three or four years and it's it's amazing. Like I just don't get injured and it's just, yeah, I love it. And when you're programming for conjugate stuff, there, there's like, what is it? It's like a max lift Monday. There is a, they have some sort of cadence, but it's all kind of mixed up, right? Like it's like a max lift Monday, max lift Friday. Yeah. And it was like speed work Tuesday, Thursday. Am I yep. right? That's how does that. Yeah. So I've, I've just tweaked it. I've modified it. So their, their original kind of conjugate program is pretty similar to that. And, um, but it, it's, it's teed up for a power lifter. But, mm-hmm. you know, we're not powerless. Right. So I've just taken principles of what they use in terms of, you know, I'll, I'll have like a max lower um, or my lower body strength on a Monday, my upper body strength on a, a Wednesday. And, yeah, that you're meant to have 72 hours between, but just how my week plans out, I can't do that, So which is fine because a lot of our work is compromised and fatigued and mm-hmm. I won't get the full strength benefits from it, but that's fine. I don't, I'm not trying to powerlift. Um, right. And, trying to get that strong like, so I, I want to be as strong as i can but you've got to give and take here and there and it, it, it makes sense because you're still working under some sort of fatigue because you are putting in you know 60 to 70 kilometers of, of, of running each week so like you're not going to be at your your maximal strength just based off of the recovery that you can do but also it's worth noting that with the the west side method the conjugate method it's a max lift but it's not always like deadlifts on monday it'll be like your max lift with like chains on deadlifts or something sometimes yeah, so right what, right. I, what i sort of do is my upper body and lower body it's pretty similar so i'll start off and i'll do some sled pulls and pushes so i'll do like say three 30 meter sled pushes with three 30 meter sled reverse pulls with straps on my hips so i'm building all that tib anterior the lower lower leg muscles i'm prepping the body for the lifts and it's just great training um then mm-hmm. i'll move into a bit of a power work so i'll do say a couple sets of, you know, five sets of three weighted, weighted seated box jumps, um, or it could be um, um, plyometric uh, jumps with the bands where you're holding on, jumping up and down. So something to really get the body firing. Um, then I'll move into um, like a, a max lift of the day. So it might be a three or five RM. Um, right. And I'll alternate that. It might be a, a front squat to a box. It might be a deadlift. It might be a deadlift off blocks. It might be might even be a work to a heavy 15-meter max sled push. Um, mm. I'll use that if I'm a little bit beat up. If I, if I come into the session and for some reason I didn't recover well enough from my long run due to sleep from work or, or whatnot, and you know I don't feel, feel like maxing out my deadlift 3RM or my box squat, I'll put in a work to a heavy 15-meter sled push. Um, amazing benefits from it. And, I mean, there's no concentric with a sled, and you can pretty much do it banged up and sore and you're fine you know you don't need that perfect mobility 
Um, then I'll move into some, then I use this uh, thing called maximum sustained power. So MSP, what that is, uh, it was, it was created, I think, either through Phil Maffetone or uh, associated Phil Maffetone, the math method. And it, it looks like this. So it's say 80% of your one RM and you've got a three minute block. So you'll do, you might be able to get say six reps out with this. So you'll do five reps, you'll rest for 15 seconds. Then you might do four reps, rest mm. for 15 seconds and rep it out. So I right. use that for my upper body and lower body. And that might be, you know, if I've box squatted, I might do a, a deadlift and a goblet squat, or uh, I might do a Bulgarian split squat with it or a lunge. So I'll always change that up. Um, and that's amazing that for that. Those are brutal. Brutal, brutal. But once you get used to them, you recover pretty well. And it's a lot of volume, but you do recover really well. And, you know, if you if you, if you want to take less damage in because you've got some really important intervals the next day, you know, with your deadlifts, you just, you know, you just don't do the eccentric, you drop it, um, which I, I love it. MSP is amazing. I recommend everyone try it. At least look it up and see what it's about, but it's amazing for growth. Yeah. I've heard of something called similar, but it's been referred to as like a cluster. Yeah. Cluster. Are they, is it the same or is that something different? Pretty, it's pretty similar training. Um, very similar, but it's pretty, I find with MSP, you've got certain weights and it's very measurable. More dialed in. Yeah. Cluster's more just like yeah, yeah, hard yeah, and rest. Yeah, yeah. You don't really record the weights as much. Um, very similar, but MSP is a bit longer. You've got that three minute block, whereas cluster is like, you might do five reps, three reps, one rep. With, with the rest in between each or three, mm-hmm. three, three. Um, so it's a way of getting, yeah, more reps out with that higher percentage weight because, yeah, it's a great, it's, it's very measurable because you can say, let's say you start off with like a 130 deadlift and you, and you go five, four, three, two, 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 one, and you get, say, 17 reps. But mm-hmm. then in four, five, six weeks, you're now getting 21, 22 reps. You then bump the weight up to 135 and hey, you're back to like that 16 reps. And, over time, you just keep increasing the weight, increasing the reps, and um, everything's always a clean form. You know, as long as the rep's clean and it's good, good lift, it's fine. Yeah, just don't be an asshole about it. Yeah. <laughs> just like yeah. lift until you know you're done. Yeah. And then, like, and those later reps, it's going to be working under fatigue, right? Yeah. Like that, you're you're essentially frying your nervous system by the end of that, but with the weight that it that it's at, which is a good way to train for something like a high rocks event or yeah. like a stadium event that is going to need to lift under like some severe fatigue when you're sort of simulating the end of that race i think mm-hmm. term was talking about it you know it simulates the end of that it simulates how your body's going to feel at the end of a marathon so if you're if you're running for running a marathon or training it's pretty hard to put yourself in that position and go and run right. 26 miles you know every tuesday but if you're doing the msp work it can simulate it uh, with a lot less fatigue and breakdown of the body. That seems like the same kind of idea, like with like hard reps at 5k, like sub 5k reps, or even this like critical velocity pace. It seems to be like the pace that you would ideally want to run at the end of a, a high rocks event. So kind of being there so you yeah. can spend more time there as opposed to doing an actual high rocks event. It's just not sustainable. Um, with the, with the conjugate, piece of your strength training then are you quantifying much behind that like do you have results that you can look at and be like i know i'm getting stronger because of this number or is it very much is it more subjective because it is so varied 
or like how are you approaching that? Yeah, so I, I just I still track everything. I've got a big. I just I still use Excel for my training, and you know I'll have like a the twenty twenty. Um, so I just started a new one for twenty twenty one, so I can go back and see month by month, and I've just got it all set out so I can quickly look at. I might rotate between a few between a few moves, so I might have like a front squat to a box, a deadlift, deadlift off a block, and a heavy goblet squat. So I know my numbers for each of those for you know my three and five RMs roughly. And then also for my MSP, so I know what I sort of should be hitting for my deadlift MSP at, you know, 150 kilos. So over time, I can see weakness in certain areas and then and then build them up. So I'm not too crazy about it, but I do look at and go back. So when I'm planning my next month's training, I might go back and look and see where I was lagging or look at what I want to build up. You know, I want to build up my squat for my war balls and my Murph record. So, you know, I'm going to do a lot more goblet squats and maybe a lot more MSP thruster work. Um, I sort of approach it like that. Um, and then I kind of finish the strength sessions with some, you know, the lower body with like unilateral work and um, lots of hamstring and, and core and carry work. Um, and it kind of rounds out the session pretty nicely for some more volume there and a bit of hypertrophy work. Um, but the big thing for, for Westside barbell, the conjugate work, is all their like banded restoration work. So mm-hmm. they, they like to throw in all these, you know, 10 to 20-minute sessions here and there where it might be three minutes of banded seated um, hamstring um, curls and then you do three minutes of banded leg, leg extensions and you do three minutes of banded tricep pushdown. So it's all really light work. It's working on blood flow restoration. You know, you could do, say, 50 50 reps, but you're doing, you know, you might be doing 100 reps in that three-minute. Nice and slow blood flow, build some tendon strength um, and, and really recover the body. So they're pretty amazing for recovery work and adding that little bit of volume. I think there's also the idea behind like signaling the body, like to continue to kind of build muscle and just like having adding extra frequency without being able to rip the body down. I think that restoration like blood flow work is is similar with that as well. So if you are looking to keep muscle on add or add muscle, whatever, I think that that's a a good route on that. And, And it makes sense the way that you're kind of quantifying things. You're just kind of taking these measures and then, making them sports specific right it's like okay i need to get better at wall balls uh i'm gonna do heavy thrusters at the msp and and seeing like how that improves the wall balls over time um which is really smart way to go about it i really it makes a ton of sense and with and for the high rocks in in particular is there anything like how are you gonna make how, how would you make the sled better without having a sled I mean, a great tool is, is, a, is a car tire. A car tire, put an um, eye bolt in it, have a strap, and then you can push and pull it all you want. You know, I've got one of those in my driveway, and I just, you know, you can load that up. You can put a bit of a timber cross-section in the middle, and you can just load that up with sandbags, bags. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, with a, with a concrete, with a tire on a uh, concrete surface, you only need about 60 or 70 kilos until it, you know, feels like 300 kilos. So... That's a great one for people, um, 100%. And you can push and pull a sled every day. There's no eccentric movement. So, um, you know, you're not taking on all that muscle damage. So you can just keep keep. – your CNS will get a little fried, but you can alternate, you know, light work, light long drags, and then you can alternate those big, heavy 20 to 30-minute – sorry, 20 to 30-meter drags with the, you know, the straps over the front of the, the body and mm-hmm. you're dragging forwards, and it pretty much simulates it perfectly. Hmm. 
That's a good tip. Might have to have you send me a, a photo of your, yeah, yeah. Of your tire situation. It's brutal. <laughs> so what, what in, what in high rocks do you need to get better at then to take down someone like, like Hunter? So I think I had some pretty big flaws. I mean, I've always been decent at running, but not where I should be. Like if you look at my, my splits of my interval work and Yancey's always, always seen it with me and it's just, it's not where it should be. You know, I can run a pretty, I can run a, I ran the four, a four thirty four mile in the um, OCR stars, and yeah. we went out and ran. The guy who paced me, he was a legend for pacing me, but he, um, like, I was running in just normal like like runners, like just crappy runners. I wasn't run, like just my New Balance. I, I wasn't even wearing spikes, and we went out and ran a sixty three first lap. And oh. um, he kind of stuffed it up a little bit because he was, he, <laughs> he was wearing spikes, and he hadn't worn spikes in in about six months. And he was like, afterwards, he goes. Dude, I'm so sorry. Like, went out in 63, and I, I was like, I thought you were gone. But we had to pull back and run like a like a 72, and then we then we kind of negative split on the way home. And like a 14 mile pool feels good, so I should be running in those 15s. But the big that big hole now is starting to close, and I can see it coming down. So I think the ability for me to to run like and hold those 345 splits or even in a high rocks, you don't need to average really faster than like Hunter doesn't hold faster than a 350 average for all the runs, even with the first fast one, you don't need to be running 330. So now that my threshold, my critical velocity speeds coming right down, you know, those 345s are going to be a lot easier. So when I'm conserving a lot more energy there and making 345 feel easy, I think the strength is going to be I can put a lot more into it because I was maxing out the strength as well. So I'm I'm going to really work on having fast ski erg and sled work. So when I race Hunter next, I'm not letting him out of sight. When I when I first raced him, you know, he he he, he gapped me on the sleds, basically mm-hmm. just put two or three minutes on me and then that was it and that I just couldn't catch him and we were pretty similar throughout it. So I'm really going to work and simulate some workouts with fast runs into ski and really build that ski capacity and sled work um, and then just really fine-tune my wall balls. Um, everything else is pretty pretty cruisy, so I've, I've got a good game plan in there. Make the running feel easy at that pace and then and then really be able to hammer the sled and the ski and recover from this, like that initially to keep moving fast. Yeah, so just kind of trying to – Remain in contact, right? Remain in contact in those early ones and just, and it boils down to the running again. And just for like the conversion of that, like a 350 for a kilometer is like 610 pace. Yeah. And that's like, and I think when Hunter did the six mile in OCR stars, he was what, like 525s or something like that, right? So I think he ended up running, the conversion would have been like a 3340 for his 10K. Yeah. Um, and that was the that was my kind of that was the goal I wanted I wanted thirty three thirty and I I felt like that's where I was at you know I had a I ran a ten k like tempo the the week before and and felt really good um, and based off my work I was I was running for that but we we kind of got a bit stuffed up with the the heat and the humidity and yeah I didn't even think about that it was going to be summer this year has been we've had a we've got some new weather pattern coming in so it's really humid it's really tropical. Um, most of our runs are done it, even the cold weather, it's about 20, 22, 20, 21, 22 degrees and 95% humidity. So <laughs> it's, I, I can't even explain it. It's, it's like you're, 
like in the 10k I went out and I we went out in about 16 the 16 1640 first 5k felt really good felt really comfortable and then just absolutely blew up from the humidity um and my my paces said the same thing too so i mean yeah it's just a bit unlucky but yeah yeah there's nothing you could there's nothing you can do when it's humid there's literally nothing like you can't cool yourself down there's nowhere for that moisture to go it just like sticks right on you and you just suffer if you would have ran that same time would you have won would you have won OCR stars if you would have? I think if I had a if I had a taken fifty forty forty or fifty seconds, so I think I ended up running like a 34.55 for my ten k. I think if I had a run say thirty four flat, even even thirty four flat, I think I could have I would have won OCR stars. You would have won the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I actually went back out, and um, the morning before it was due, I had a pretty flat road course right near my house I wake up at 4 a.m to try and get the cooler weather and it was i wore i warmed up and literally it was probably a 3k warm-up and i was dripping and i i knew i could already tell but i went for it and um like i went i went for it just to try and run like a 34 10 to kind of take off any seconds yeah so many people in there in that in that 34 to 34 50 range yeah, and I got to seven and a half k and just stopped because I was just at that right on that three twenty nine limit and just blew up. It was just, but yeah, you gotta you gotta have a crack. <laughs> there's, nothing you could, there's nothing you could do. Like even in the morning, like at four in the morning, it, it might not be windy. It might not the sun might not be out. Might not be hot, but it's humid. That oh, humidity isn't go anywhere. Right. It was twenty twenty degrees, one hundred oh, probably like ninety eight percent humidity at four a.m. <laughs> it was gnarly, but we yeah. actually. We actually had a very nice first day the other day where it was normal humidity, long run, and we weren't sweating, and it was just it's it's a game changer. But I mean, it's gonna, it's building fitness anyway. It's sort of probably simulating something that altitude might might do to the body. So they say it's poor man's they say it's poor man's altitude, but yeah, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> it's 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 still it's almost. I think it's worthless. I don't think it does anything. I think it just yeah. It so that's why training so bad. That's why I'm holding off on a few things. Like I've got. I've got the um, the Guinness World Record for the fastest mile in firefighter structural gear, and um, I've just I'm just pushing it back to winter now because I kind of I was going to go for it um, uh, mid last year, but I actually um, had a sprain or a, a slight some sort of injury in my cuboid, and that was from running in the firefighter boots. So you've got hmm. you know each boot weighs I'm putting it into America. I think each boot weighs one point one kilos, so you know, you, what, three, that's, yeah, three, three pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. pretty heavy. So it's like you're running in snowboard boots and yeah. Any, any pounds of for footwear is like really, really heavy. Yeah. So I had a little injury with that and looking back at it. Yeah. I probably shouldn't run, have run in the boots. Like I did, didn't do much, but it doesn't take much to smash your feet. And that was back when I was doing <laughs> more lightweight shoes and the sled. And it was just a combination. And I was training for the stadium series in those lightweight shoes on concrete. So it was just a bit of a triple threat. So I'm going to push that back and go for that probably in winter, similar time to doing the Murph record. What's the, um, what's the mile record for firefighter gear? So it's six Oh, six Oh seven, sorry. Six Oh eight. So it doesn't, it doesn't sound very fast, but when you're wearing, you know, 11 to 12 kilos of gear and your boots weigh 1.1 kilos. Yeah. It's just, it's just hot, but um, I know. Like, so, just for for a comparison, like if you're wearing 
Cause you said it's what 12 kilos. Yeah. So it's about 25 pounds. It's like 25 pounds. Right. So if you were, if you were to wear like when you do your mile in Murph, like how, how much faster, how, like what is your mile in Murph then? So when I run the miles of Murph, like I run, I run a six minute mile for both of them and feel, both of them. and feel pretty good. Like the first one I'll be controlled, but breathing heavy. The second one, the six minute mile, that's all out that, you know, you've just done your 300 squats. Your just legs are all rubber, but yeah. that just goes to show like that, like you can do two six minutes with a 20 pound vest, but if it's like the weight of the gear with the boots and just like, I'm sure it's not that easy to breathe. And the world record is yeah. six Oh something. It just shows like how much harder it must be to run in that stuff. It's just the exponential like fatigue from the heat. So, and, and the boots. So the heat is, it's unbearable because you got this moisture barrier in the gear. You just sweat. As oh. it's, it's just like, you're, it's like you're in a sauna. It's like doing, max burpees in a sauna right when you need to get out and then the boots too they say i think for every kilo on the foot it adds five to ten on the back depending on what you're doing so that's what makes it so hard actually running with you know 20 to 25 kilos then if you're adding that extra weight on yeah i'm sure those boots aren't flexible they're not trying to to cut with nice grooves in there to make it nice and cushioned and comfortable they're they're pretty horrible so i'm doing a bit of when, when i gear up and and go for that. I'll do a bunch of like incline treadmill repeats, um, mm. maybe even using some ankle weights in my runners just to simulate the weight. Uh, yeah. I won't even go near the boots until I run it. Just don't want to get injured. Just don't want to hurt yourself. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it would be just try to suffer for six minutes and just yeah. get out of there alive. Yeah. Um, so that's the thing Like you mentioned you're on the pro team, but you are, you do have a full-time job, right? You are yeah. a firefighter. Yep. So what led you down that road? How did you end up as with this profession? So I had a couple, I mean, I've always been wanting to be in the outdoors and I was a strength and conditioning coach and a PT for the first few years. Um, and then I had a few mates who were just in the, in the, in the fireys and the way they spoke of it and how rewarding it was um, and the ability to, you know, just give back. Everything sort of was ticking all these boxes. So I just applied and I was doing my normal job and, I just kind of applied on a whim, didn't really expect to get in. It's pretty hard. And then got a call back, got the next stage and got in. And then six years later, I've just, I haven't felt like I've worked a day in my life being there. It's just so rewarding. It's just such a good job. And it's given me the ability to train the way I need to as well. Um, Like it's taken a while. It probably took the first two years to be able to work the schedule out and, and know how my body responds to sleep deprivation and, and tweak things, but yeah, it's such an amazing job um, in every aspect. And how does the, you mentioned the schedule, like I, I'm not sure if it's the same everywhere. What is it like for you? So we do, we work for 24 hours on and then we have 24 hours off Then we're back for 24 hours on and then we have five days off. So we kind of get all our work in. It's pretty cool. We get all our work in, smash it out in those three days um, mm. have the five. Um, and it just depends, depends on the shift. I mean, like I'm at, I'm at city at the big headquarters. So it's the busiest station in, in the state. So we could have, you know, you could have anything from a, a semi cruisy night, you know, you get, get a little bit of sleep, but then you might have a night where you haven't slept. So that's just where it comes down to being smart with your training. Um, knowing how your body feels. Like I, I, I use, you know, auto regulation and go off your body, how it feels, but I also use um, like an aura ring. So that allows me to track. Yeah, I thought my, I noticed you were wearing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, 
the uh, HRV and the readiness and your sleep. It's really, I got it for sleep, basically. Um, it's been one of the best things we've ever used. But it can, I can really dial my sleep in with it and it's taught me to, to, to nap and get try and really focus on that sleep. That's the biggest thing. Um, it's like when you go out and party. You know, you have a few beers and if you put yourself to bed at a, at a good time, it doesn't really matter how much you drink, you're going to feel pretty good. But, you know, you stay out pretty late and it just cooks you. Um, <laughs> That's the one thing, like, you don't realize like what the hung the hangover part is or the sleep deprived part is until you're just sleep deprived without the bo- the booze and you're like oh I'm just tired this sucks this yeah. is this is what being hungover is it's yeah, not sleeping much. well yeah um and so are you working out on those middle days then like on the the middle 24 of the three days like how does that look depending yeah i I usually do it just depends on the shift if i have a good shift and i recover well i'll i'll do my normal session if not i'll either i'll probably just make it more aerobic um i'll drop the weights and intensities and or if it's if it's pretty brutal i'll just take the day and i won't do anything i'll just do maybe just some light movement stretching um have a big nap have a sleep and, and get back into it because i mean as you know pretty much takes up to two weeks to start losing fitness and a day here and there isn't, you're not going to lose much, but sometimes I'll, I'll drop a session and make it up later in the week. Uh, mm. And depending on how the shifts, cause we got like an eight day roster. So let's say I work Monday, Wednesday, next week's Tuesday, Thursday, then the next week's Wednesday, Friday, I'm always having that middle day or one of those two, two work days, like big crazy work days could be a key workout. So Sometimes when that rolls right. back around, I'll I'll quickly I'll tweak it. I'll throw the throw the track session to another day and just be able to move it around like that, which works really well. Yeah, and it's 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 smart that you were able to to recognize that there are these tools available to help with the sleep, right, and to see exactly what's going on. So it has to be really valuable for you on that end. Um, and so with the job itself, like. Cause I'm, I'm just curious about this part and you mentioned it kind of just as you were explaining it. Do, do you always feel like to me from the outside, it looks like a good job, a super secure job, you know, like respected, but do, do you always have that, that feeling of like selflessness and reward while you're in it? Um, you do, you do quite a bit, but um, I mean, you're just doing your end of the day, you're just doing your job. You, like you don't, you don't want anything from it. You don't. You don't need anything. But it just gives you that satisfaction when when you do help those people and and um, you see the impact you have. But you know, we're like anyone else. We're just we're just doing our normal job. We don't need any extra you know thanks or reward for it. Um, there's a lot of other jobs out there that are. I take my hat off to them. I don't know how they do it, especially like the paramedics and the the ambos that we have. Like they they have some pretty tough things they have to do and. Um, yeah, we're just, we're just there doing our job and helping, helping someone on their worst day and trying to help them get through it. And yeah, it's pretty rewarding at the end of it though. What about on the opposite end? Is there times where it like sucks and you're like, oh yeah, <laughs> like this sucks, but it's ultimately rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, if it's, if you've had, you know, if you're fighting bushfires and you know, you haven't eaten all day and you come back and then it's three in the morning and you're in a basement you know, looking for a smoke detector and you haven't slept and you're thinking about, you know, <laughs> how am I going to do this, you know, long run tomorrow or something. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts, but it's just, you just learn that 
you know, they, they come and they happen and it's fine. You know, if I need to sleep tomorrow, I'll sleep tomorrow. You know, I'm, I don't have kids yet. I'm pretty lucky in that. Like, so it's, I don't have that extra stress at the moment. Um, and yeah, I feel super lucky to have the job and be healthy and do what I can do and, um, have great support around me. So I, it's never, it's never hard. You know, there's mentally tough times, but I think that helps too. It just makes you a stronger person for life and training and racing. And yeah, it's all, it's all fine. It's all good. Yeah. It's a good way to flip it. Just taking it as an opportunity to, to grow. It's like, even on those worth, those terrible days, there's like, it won't be as terrible next time. Are you really close with your, I think in the States they call it a company, like your entire team. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got like, yeah, platoon. So, um, we've got a pretty big, pretty big crew we've got 22 to 24 on our shift most shifts are say four to six people but um we've got the big station so we've got six trucks and yeah it's an awesome crew like everyone's really close and connected and like we train together and cook together and yeah it's pretty cool do you smoke everybody in the fitness stuff can anybody hang uh we've got a few we've got a few super fit (laughs) dudes there's actually we got some like everyone's got like different strengths and skills, but um, there is one guy I haven't been able to beat. In uh, we have this firefighter stair climb, so it's a hundred floors, full gear, straight up. So you you weigh you weigh about twenty five kilos, um, and it's hundred floors, hundred floors. So it's about fifteen hundred steps. It's about you have, a, you have a building that's all. Yeah, we've got a building called Center Point Tower. It's um, just this big. There's literally not a building at the top. It's just this like big revolving restaurant, and it's like a, a big view deck. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, so it's it's pretty brutal though. It's it's about ten and a half minutes of just pure death. It's like you're in a sauna trying to like do burpees in a salt bike, and and I haven't beaten, I haven't beaten him. He's not on my shift, but um, he's a, he's a specialist for that too. So. You know, you'd have to specialize in that, I think, to beat someone like that. But yeah, you might have to push every push OCR aside for a while just to yeah. take him down. Yeah. So one thing about the like you mentioned, like being tougher for obstacle course events just because, you know, you're going through some gritty situations. But also there imagine there's gotta be times where you're kind of needing to act on the fly. Like, I'm sure you guys are prepared for certain scenarios. I'm sure it's part of the training, but there has to be moments where you kind of have to deviate. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it, do you feel like something like that helps with obstacle course racing? Because there's usually a time in a race where things go wrong and you need to kind of like figure out what to do on the fly, even if it's just like choosing which alley of monkey bars to go down or something like that 100 100 percent spot on there um that's pretty much what our job is you know you walk into a scenario and you know textbook says do this but pretty much what's happening is someone's throwing a grenade to you and you're like shit what do we do um it's literally a lot of that you know you've got your you've got your core principles and you know your drills and you're well drilled you know your equipment but every single job is different um every fire every rescue how the people are going to react. So you, you literally, you are you're improvising all the time and definitely has helped with, um, with races and kind of that racing brain and IQ and being mm-hmm. able to slow down and see what's happening. I actually, I was pretty bad with that back in the day because I was always million miles an hour. I'd come in, I wouldn't think, but I never thought about race strategy back then. I was just, you know, I was playing soccer and obstacle course racing was cool and fun and, 
I never, I, you know, I never even practiced the obstacle, so I just go in and, and, and do them. But it has allowed me to see, you know, slow down and see what's happening and, and kind of in a race situation do that. Um, I feel like I am a better racer when it is like a high rocks because it takes a little bit of that away from it. And that's probably due to not having as many races under my belt and um, not doing as, as much of that work where, you know, if I went into say like an Abu Dhabi or something, I, I would go out and I would specifically train that and practice that on obstacles um, a lot more. But yeah, it definitely does help for sure. I'm with you on that, man. I like, because well, with running, it's my background. Like, if you do a 5K, there's maybe one thing that could go wrong. And like, you and like, if it goes wrong, you probably did it to yourself. You either screwed up your pacing or you got cut off or something. But really, it's just like sitting yourself at what you need to do for your maximum output and just like preparing for it to suck. And when it sucks, just like keep going. So, like, that's real easy. Like, <laughs> any any meathead can do that. And like, that's kind of what I like about High Rocks too, because I'm the same way. I don't even. I just started looking at race maps maybe like two years ago, Like they would come out and be like, my fitness will take care of this. I'll get through it. And like, now I've just kind of like looked into it. Like, Oh, well this actually does matter. And you seem like a pretty cerebral person when it comes to a lot of the training, like everything seems really thoughtful. And like, you're, you're, you're taking time to analyze and look at, look at what you need to do to get better. And like exactly how to do that, what the, the mechanics are to actually do that. So are, have you started to be a little bit more thoughtful in like the race strategy piece or yeah, right. definitely. Just... I mean, hundred percent. Like when I was in doing the four, four or five stadiums, um, twenty nineteen in America. Like I was getting the course map and I was researching it and looking where, like, where things were. And all right, here's the assault bike. Cool. I've, I've probably got five minutes of the race left from there. And like, you, you need to be doing that stuff for sure. And if you look at the way the the top American europeans do it and i've listened to some of the their analysis of of their race maps and what they do before a race it's pretty crazy um it's pretty in depth and you know they they know after they fit the monkey bars you know the carry is coming up and they know how long the carry is probably and they know you know what that turn looks like so it's it's night and day when you're doing those sort of races but Rock's pretty nice in the sense where you know you just got to run those two laps come in all right you got this station but you you know when you're when you're 60 minutes at threshold, you know, you can you can forget what the next station is. And you, I remember when I was in Dallas and I was coming up to like the, the lunges and did the first lap and I did the second and then I just had no idea what the next station was. I was just cooked and it can mm-hmm. always come in there, but it's just sort of practicing that fatigue. Um, a good thing I used to do with the guys at the station was, and it's great for racing this, so you might have say, we had this big sand dune hill. And it was mm-hmm. say three, two, two minute thirty sort of like um, incline run up a big sand dune, and you'd have two of you, and one of you would have say a maths equation, and you'd you'd create the maths equation, you'd give it to the other guy just as you start, and then on the way out, the the guy's got to solve it, and you've got to remember what it is, and then when you get to the top, be able to say, all right, the answer, remember what the answer is, and say, yep, you got it right. Um, so little things like that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, oxygen deprivation, your mind starts to go. But if you start to, to practice that, you know, like Navy SEALs do it, firefighters do it, it's just training the brain under full full stress. So it's like you could throw it into any workout. You know, you could have maths equations, Sudoku, kind of a little puzzle, you know, in your workouts. If, if you struggle with that, that's something pretty cool to do because, you know, if you can solve this pretty hard equation mid-race, you know, you've got 10 seconds to do it, 
it's going to be a lot easier when you're trying to, you know, choose which lane to go down or, okay, if you see a sign and you quickly have to think which one's the right one, it's a lot easier if you practice doing that sort of stuff. And these type of like little specific racing things, this was so cool about OCR. It's like, if you told me to do something like that when I was preparing to run like a mile, I'd be like, no. I'm not going to like solve a Rubik's cube when I get off the rower, but like it would really matter. It would like really help. Do you remember when there was like those memory games that that was an obstacle? Did you have yeah, those? That was in the, we had a couple of those in the, in the ultras, like halfway through, okay. we have to come back and build this, build this piece of Lego or <laughs> something weird. And you're like, what's going on? But it is, it is a pretty good life skill to have. Totally. I mean, I was testing a 5k last spring and I forgot which button on my watch was the lap memory. My brain got so frazzled that I forgot the button to use like three buttons on the watch. I forgot which one did it. I was like, I can't touch any of them. I don't even know where, what to do now. I think I still do that. You look at all everyone's like run PRs and times. And there's always that like lap afterwards at six or six or seven seconds. And they've pressed the wrong one and they've realized and hit the right. (laughs) You got to make it, make sure to like edit it on Strava. It's like, no, actually it ended here. Yeah. You see Um, so what are some goals? So say this year goes like it happens, <laughs> like say it happens. Oh, actually, um, on the firefighter thing, right around this time last year, it was probably pretty terrible for you right now. Like, yeah, was we, that- we had crazy, crazy summer. It was, it was the worst fire, fire, bushfire season on record or in, in a long time. And it was like, you pretty much couldn't see the sky for about three or four months. You know, blacks. You couldn't go outside. You couldn't. You couldn't run some days because the smoke was so bad and the wind, like the air quality, was so was so polluted. So you're doing a lot of your runs inside. Um, it was pretty crazy. It was a pretty hard year for. I mean, for the country. Like we, it was hard for us being firefighters, but nothing compared to the people who you know lost their homes and their animals and their houses and their family. So we had a we had an easy job. We were just in there to try and help out. A little bit, little bit sketchy, but nothing compared to the people you know, who lost their, lost their lives. It seems like a million years ago that that was when the, the, the Australian fires, it seemed like so long ago, but that was like last year. But it's, it's kind of all, it's scary because, you know, COVID came around and everyone's just forgotten everything yeah. that's happened. And exactly. It's just a, a hot new thing. So well, it's, it's good here though. This people are still aware of it and there's still initiatives to go down and support them and, and help where you can. Um, but yeah, it was pretty brutal. Yeah, hopefully for a better 2021. But on like a more bright note with 2021, if the races happen, like what are what's the goal for you this year? Like what are you what are you shooting for? What do you want to do? Well, I think I'm going to wait and see see what happens with High Rocks and like I know they've got a few events coming up, but then I'll, I'll see when their world champs are. I'll see if Abu Dhabi is going to go ahead. I think I'll hit the the firefighter mile world record in, in winter. And also I'm going to go for the Murph world record as well. Nice. Um, set that up in winter. I think that that one's pretty, that's pretty suited to me as well because the running with the vest is great. And so is the, the body weight work. Like I've just always done a lot of push ups and pull ups. Um, and with that, it's kind of just fine tuning my butterfly pull ups, which I did last year. So, um, I'll do those two records and they can be done anytime. So probably winter. And it just depends on what's going to happen with, with COVID and, you know, when, when we're allowed to, I'm guessing it's going to be vaccine related, but when, when I can travel and not have to come back and quarantine, because I'm not going to try and make it over for a few races and then have a two week quarantine without training in a, you right. know, in a hotel room and 
and it would need like, to be like your a race we need to be like the last race of the year or something it would have to be yeah like high rocks world champs or yeah um so i think it's just going to be again just waiting and seeing what's happening um because I, I would have loved to come over for dallas you know with the, they got ten thousand up for grabs like i know hunter's there but um, did you get invited so not for that one. I got invited for the the world champs in oh, yeah, yeah. Berlin, Hamburg, Berlin. Um, but not for this one yet because I said to them, "Look, at the moment, I can't, I can't do it." So they'll probably wait until I can come over again. Um, yeah, look, like, it was looking like a pretty strong field with Atkins and um, everyone coming into it. Like Killian. they had a couple, they had a couple layups in there too, though. There's a couple yeah. people was like. Mm. Are you like it was just like the Spartan games all over again? It's like okay, oh, I, get, sorry, I, sorry, no, I meant the um the one coming up in Dallas. Yeah, no, I know. There's like oh okay, yeah, yeah. I know like Atkins is in it and like killing, but there's like a couple of CrossFitters and like a couple yeah. of Ninja Warrior people. That's like yeah. mm, nah. Do they have any chance of winning this? It's like no, not no. at all. <laughs> no. So I I get what they're doing now, but yeah, that would have been cool to see you out in that field. Um, that would have been real fun. Hopefully that's what, what these races end up being like is if, if they do start drawing people and it gets like really like thick competition. Because so like in the last year anyway, I was like maybe like top five were like strong and people were really trying to figure out like what, like how to do it and what, what's going to happen with it. Um, so hopefully that's something that you can do. But it sounds like you're just going to kind of wait and see, figure out where you can, where you can yeah, be. Just going to keep training, do the do the records when I can do them in winter and then just, and just see what happens, see when their season comes out and – when we can get over there. Um, there's nothing else you can really do at the moment. No. What's your Murph PR? Um, it's around 36, my PR, but I've never run it. But that's with strict. That was with more strict pull-ups, like strict keeping pull-ups. That was before I learned butterfly pull-ups. So I want to go. Faster. Yeah. So I, yeah, the, it's, if you can, yeah, you want to be able to get those pull-ups done pretty quick, you know, under five minutes. I've kind of got the game plan I want to hit for, say, like a 32-minute. That's my goal, 32 minutes. Um, you know, that's going two six-minute miles, five minutes, seven minutes, eight minutes for a breakdown. Um, and I'm doing, like, progression um, EMOMs, you know, with the with the squatting and the pull-ups and the, and the push-ups for all that. So I think mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident I can hit. I know that Hunter's – I think he ran a 34. Um, and I know Kempson probably ran a 34 too. Or, or beat him when they went for that record. But I think Hunter said he's definitely, a, he's probably around, a, like if you want to beat Hunter, I think you're going to have to hit a 30, 33, maybe 32. So, And his his record is the record, right? Does he yeah. officially have the Guinness record? Yeah, so he beat, I don't think it's a Guinness World record, it's just like a, a record. The unofficial like, Murph World yeah, record. Like he took, was it Bridges? I think Josh Bridges may have had it, 35, yeah. 36. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, I'm I'm just training for a 32, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, that'll be fun, and that, you might have an advantage. I mean, how tall are you? Uh, 173 to so five five nine. Okay, yeah, because I mean that's an advantage in terms of like the like because that's about probably what Kempson's size is. He might be even a little shorter than that. Yeah, but, uh, pretty, pretty pretty similar. Pretty similar size, but yeah, that helps with the, the lever size. I mean, with push ups and pull ups, like someone like Hunter. It's pretty impressive that he could do it that it's, well. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. He's just his work capacity is through the roof. His threshold is through the roof, and he, he does a lot of reps. So, but he's beatable. Definitely, I think he's more beatable in that than than uh, high rocks. But I mean, I mean, he's beatable in everything. You just, just got to beat him in both. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, cool, man. Well, dude, I'm, I love this conversation. Ton of ton of great information. I don't want to keep you all night, all, all morning, I should say. So, uh, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Uh, I'm just on Instagram at the moment. Um, I think my name's underscore Chris Woolley underscore. Um, that's all pretty much at the moment. I was doing a bunch of coaching um, for people like athletes. I've kind of steered away from that at the moment. Um, just kind of working out what I want to do in the long term. But um, yeah, Instagram. I'm just there. Reach out to me. Ask anything if you if you're interested in any of the things we've like spoken about today and Westside and my pro programming. Just yeah, reach out. Uh, are you still associated with Yancy Yancy Camp? Yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm on Yancy Camp. I'm one of his um, Yancy Camp athletes. Um, he's a good dude. So definitely reach out to Yancy or Yancy Camp if you want to speak to them at all because they're they're really good. Cool, Chris. Well, this is great. Uh, I'm just gonna hit stop. We'll head back to the green room, but. I do appreciate you popping on, so that'll that'll be it for us. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. All right. Thanks again for listening. I love this conversation. Make sure you give Chris a follow. And if you like what we're doing here at Reinforced Running, please drop us a five-star review. If you got something nice to say, you could say that as well. It's helpful for us, and we enjoy it. We like hearing from you. So appreciate you listening all the way to the end, and we will talk to you next time.